You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. We come to the sixth commandment in our catechisms, um, which is question 67 to 69. I do want to um, mention a resource today. Sixth commandment is thou shalt not kill. Um, but uh, one of the things we'll talk about, maybe uh, hopefully um, at some depth, but we'll see how time goes. Um, one of the, the sins prohibited by the sixth commandment is sinful anger. And uh, there's a book that's been helpful for me, and I've read through several other people that I think has been helpful, a book on anger called Good and Angry by David Pallison. And I, I just want to put it in your hands um, to look at and to consider. Um, if you want to read through it with me, I'm all for it. Um, it's a great book, uh, just kind of pastoral counsel, thinking about our own anger um, and putting that to death. And um, so I highly, highly recommend this book. Um, I mean, it's, no book's perfect, um, has its weaknesses, but it's very good and very solid. Oh, here's the title. David Pallison, Good and Angry, redeeming anger, irritation, complaining, and bitterness. Um, and we'll see, I think actually we all have an anger problem, whether we realize it or not, as we'll see in the Sixth Commandment today. So we come to the Sixth Commandment in the uh, Shorter Catechism's exposition of it. And just a reminder, um, I've mentioned this before. Let's see if, if any of it stuck or if you know what it is. We speak of oftentimes the three uses of the moral law. The moral law has three uses. Um, does anybody want to try to um, say what those are? John? Um, restraining the worst excesses of evil. Say that again, sorry. Restraining the worst excesses of evil. Okay. Judicially, like punishing murderers. That's right. Um, that uh, convincing us of our sin. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. Those are the three uses. Usually the first one we'll, we'll call the pedagogical where it shows us our own sin. So we read this, we say, yes, I have violated the sixth commandment. I am a sinner. But it also shows us Christ who perfectly fulfilled it and it draws us to Christ and makes us find, uh, I love the, the, the hymn, make us, uh, let us find a covert in his wounds, um, a, a refuge in his wounds. He is the one who's fulfilled it and forgives us through his blood. So it draws us to Christ when we see that we're sinners. Second, uh, we talk, often talk about the civil use of the law through common grace. The law is written on our hearts and it restrains evil. We're not as bad as we could be because the law is written on our hearts. Um, all people, believers and non-believers. So it does restrain evil in the world. And then the third use is uh, the guide for Christian living. This shows us how we do honor the Lord. In light of your salvation, how do you live? And um, sometimes we, we, don't, we, we don't live in a certain way because of, we don't live in a godly way because of ignorance. And so this is enlightening of what is true, what is good, so that we no longer live in ignorance. And we can honor God, uh, and particularly in this way, by obeying the sixth commandment. So those are the three uses, the pedagogical, the civil, and then the, the normative or the guide for the Christian life. So um, those are helpful categories as we think through the law of God. Um, the, law, the moral law is not used to justify us, right? So we need to be careful. We don't come to the moral law of God to earn favor with God. It doesn't justify us. It is how Christ fulfilling it does justify us. Uh, so through it, we see Christ, but it is not a way to climb a ladder to God. All right, so we come to question 67. So let's just uh, begin um, with, our, with the sixth commandment this morning. 
Um, and 67 is, which is the sixth commandment? The sixth commandment is, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Um, so... Um, I've got some key scripture here we're going to look at, and we're going to unpack this language a little bit. Um, so let's begin with this text, Exodus 20, 13. That's uh, where the, the catechism uh, is quoting the Ten Commandments and also Deuteronomy chapter 5. But we have this verse, thou shalt not kill. Now, if you, um, if you read your King James, you are used to this language, thou shalt not kill. This is the, the language of the shorter catechism. They were using the King James as they wrote the catechism and the confession. Um, and if you look historically, King James and all previous English translations use this language of kill. Thou shalt not kill. However, if you're reading the ESV, you're going to see different language. You shall not murder. So the ESV, NASB, and a lot of modern English translations, really after King James, really went in this direction of using the word murder. So we have these two ideas, kill and murder, and the question is, what's most helpful for us to understand the intent here of the word? Now, um, ESV does us uh, some, some real favors here with a footnote. If you have your ESV, it has a footnote on the word murder, and it says the Hebrew word also covers causing human death through carelessness or negligence. Uh, there's an end quotation mark, and I don't have a beginning quotation mark. The whole thing's from the ESV, editing error, my apologies. Um, so the Hebrew word here is not just intentional murder, but it's unintentional killing as well. So we have weaknesses to both of these words. Um, and there's this debate, um, do we use the word kill or, or murder? And uh, just, just a note, um, this Hebrew word here for murder, uh, it only applies to death of humans. So it doesn't include death of animals. This isn't saying thou shalt not kill animals. So the problem with the word kill is that it's overbroad. It's saying don't kill anything. And this commandment is not speaking of animals. It's not saying do not kill animals. It's do not kill humans. So kill doesn't quite get at it. It's overbroad. But it includes unintentional killing. So if you use the word murder, it's not actually getting at it either. That's under inclusive because it, it's not just intentional murder, it's unintentional killing as well that is prohibited by the sixth commandment and particularly by the Hebrew word. It has a broader semantic range or broader possible meanings than just murder. So we have this, so we have the text here, you shall not murder or kill, whichever way you go, you need to understand there's weakness in the language um, and it includes unintentional killing of humans. This uh, famous place in Matthew 5 where Jesus quotes this commandment. Um, and this will set the table for a lot of our discussion. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said of, uh, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his, his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So, um, He's saying it's not just the letter of the law. It's not just murder that is prohibited by God's law. He's saying, actually, if you are angry with your brother, you are guilty under the sixth commandment. Now, it's interesting. There's, there's three phases here. Um, angry with his brother, insults his brother, and then says you fool. Uh, this is actually an increase in severity. So anger typically is... is something internal we can think of. But here, uh, so that's the first phrase, First phase, you're angry, you hate your brother, and then you insult him. So actually the anger is now spewing out and insulting him, and then saying you fool is the worst of, of profanities you can use
used to condemn somebody else. And so this is a, a escalating behavior here. And you have also escalating judgment, liable to judgment. Here it says um, you're only liable to judgment if you murder. And there's some thought this is actually reference to a local um, uh, council in the Jewish culture. culture. So you're liable to judgment by a a local council. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Talking here about the Sanhedrin, so the um, Israel-wide religious and judicial um, group with oversight of the whole nation. And then it says, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. This is God's judgment ultimately on you. So we actually see an uh, increase in severity and also increase in the judgment that's rendered here as well. So it's an interesting part of this verse. But the point is, it's not just actually murdering or killing somebody that is a violation of the sixth commandment. Here, Jesus begins to say, it actually begins in your heart with murder. And we'll begin to tease this out some more. Um, Genesis 4 shows the same progression where we have Cain who begins the chapter angry at his brother because God accepts his, well, it doesn't say who he's angry at actually. Um, he's angry because his brother, um, uh, his sacrifices were pleasing to God, but his were not. So he becomes angry and that anger then results in him killing his brother. And so we see the seed form of killing is anger. And so the commandment is prohibiting not just the final fruit, but the seed as well. The anger is also prohibited here. A few more passages I want to mention. Ephesians 4, Paul writes, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So here actually he says, be angry, do not sin. There is a way to be angry that's not sinful. So we need to be careful. Not all anger is sinful anger. We need to be, uh, as we're talking, I'll probably just say anger in general is bad and say it, it violates the sixth commandment. I mean sinful anger. And we'll hopefully get to how do we distinguish between righteous anger and sinful anger. But he says, be angry and do not sin. And then he goes on, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Often people will say, well, this just means, you know, with your spouse, don't go to bed angry. Okay, maybe. Uh, That might be, that's a a fine thing to say. We should never be sinfully angry. So yes, that's right. If you're sinfully angry, stop it as soon as you can. But I think what this is even saying is if there's righteous anger, you don't have the right to continue on in righteous anger. Even your righteous anger must come to an end. And we'll see the next verse, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. We're not God's, um, we're not here to execute judgment for God on earth in an ultimate sense. And so even the righteous non-sinful anger needs to come to an end at, at bedtime uh, when the sun goes down. So um, an interesting verse there, speaking of anger, Romans 12, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. So here we actually have the positive part of this this idea. The positive is seek the good of somebody else. God is the one who will ultimately um, judge them. You are to seek their good. You're not here to vindicate God and seek justice in every way in case, in every circumstance. So God will repay. Um, It is not us to repay. It is not on us to repay, um, especially in sinful anger. Um, And then James helps us see this a little bit. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
um, again, we so quickly think our anger is justified because it's righteous. It's I'm angry at sin, but and so we 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 get on a crusade, thinking I can go do whatever I want because I'm propelled by righteous justice. And here it says the right the the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Be slow to anger. Be patient. The res- first result should not be anger, even righteous anger. And then, okay, so those are, I just wanted to get some of those concepts on the table before we begin discussing the catechism or the question itself directly. Um, but I'll pause there. There's a lot we can go into, but I'll pause there for comments, questions. Um, so you draw a line, like, sometimes I feel like I have subconscious anger. Right, Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, the Pallison describes or defines anger as destructive displeasure. There's displeasure towards something, and sometimes displeasure towards something is righteous, right? Displeasure towards sin is right, but it's destructive. That's never right. We are never called to be destructive. Um, uh, and so that can fester, that can bubble under the surface. There's a lot of, of things to explore there. So we can, you know, you can read the Pallison book to, to kind of uh, do an inventory of your own heart to see where you are, because, because it does take intentionally looking under the hood, say, what's propelling me? What's driving me? Sometimes, you know, I wake up in a bad mood and I'm just cranky. I'm like, oh, I actually am angry. There's something percolating under the surface. I'm angry at something um, that might not be, you know, raging anger, but that bitterness is taking root. Yeah, Rob? Sorry. No, you're good. If I, uh, how do you balance it with the verse if your brother sins against you, go to that? That's right. Um, That's right. There are certain people that I feel like sin against me quite often, mm-hmm. but I go to them every single time. Yeah, yeah. Time. Do I just like, vengeance is the Lord's and I just that's right. So vengeance is the Lord. So it's not on you to go um, to go show them who's right and show them how wrong they are. But uh, Pallison defines righteous anger as a constructive displeasure of mercy. So you see somebody and there's a constructive action that's taken and it's at the core though, merciful. You're not here to go, you know, um, take to have vengeance. You're not there to go um, make them pay for what they've done. It's to be constructive. Yes, you need to show them their sin. That's constructive. That's good. But it's propelled by mercy, not by vengeance, not by spite, not by showing you're better or proving you're superior. It is uh, propelled by mercy for their sake, not even first and foremost, your own sake. Um, so Pallison is a great, a great resource. So destructive um, uh, displeasure or the constructive displeasure of mercy. So that's how he kind of speaks of righteous and unrighteous anger. Let's go, uh, let's go to the language of the catechism here as we move to question 68. 68. Um, and as we've seen throughout, the catechism often says, uh, what's, what's our, the positive command that comes out of this and what's the negative command? So the first starts with the positive command. What is required in the sixth commandment? So let's stop. And, and I want to hear from you. What is required in the sixth commandment before we read the text? What positive is there? It says don't murder, but what is the positive uh, command that it's making here? Well, I mean, like, you know, the abortion, like, uphold life. Uphold life? Okay. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. This is what you were going to say. Don't text and drive. Don't text and drive. 
Yeah, that's right. There's lots of implications. That's right. Yeah. Say that again. Love your brother. brother. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the text, uh, question 68, answers this way. The sixth commandment requireth all lawful, lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. So the positive is what you guys have been saying. It's an affirmative duty to preserve life. I have to preserve life. God has given life, and it is our duty to steward life. And the catechism doesn't go into the rationale in the background, but I want us to go there for just a moment. Why is this the case? Why do we not kill human life? Why do we not even unintentionally kill human life? Why do we have this affirmative duty, right? Unintentional. So it's, it's interesting. I can't do something unintentionally. What does that mean? Well, I affirmatively have to avoid that. So there is this affirmatively seeking the life of other people. And why is that? Because we are made in the image of God. In fact, maybe a better way to say that is we are the image of God. Um, Let me read this from Genesis uh, chapter 9. Um, and this is right after the flood. Um, God's putting Noah uh, as kind of, again, like a new Adam, uh, kind of a new creation, uh, fallen though. And he gives mankind this command. It says, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it from man, require it and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. And this is the phrase here I'm uh, emphasizing. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his image. So we actually have a positive command here for capital punishment. And the rationale is God made man in his image. We are God's image. God imprinted his image on humankind, giving us inherent dignity and value and worth. And the life of every person is, is, is infinitely valuable. It is as if, you know, when we look at one another, we are looking at the face of God in a real way. We're not all gods. I'm not pantheist or panentheist or whatever. But God imprinted himself on us. And Jesus even says, whenever you serve one of my people, you're serving me. Image of God realities here. Redemptive realities as well. But image of God realities here. Every single person, no matter who they are, no matter what society thinks of them, they are of infinite worth and value because they are made in God's image. Period. And we must, in our day and age, do a better job of remembering this, but also reminding other people of this. Because we see everywhere how, how easy it is to cut other people down. Social media is full of this, just cutting other people down over and over and over. I'm not talking about arguing logically and making arguments against bad ideas and, and false teaching. What I'm saying is personal attacks on people. This is not what we're called to do. We're called to, in, instead of cutting people down, we're called to build them up. And like Chad said, ultimately, this is love your neighbor. That's the command here, is to love your neighbor. Doesn't mean you agree with everything they do, but you must affirmatively seek their good and love them in every sphere of life. Um, I, I often think of this in law, there is no affirmative duty to save somebody's life. So if you're walking down the street uh, and there's a lake over to the side and a child is drowning in the lake, you have no legal duty to save that person. You have no legal duty to go in and, 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 and help the drowning child. But morally, if you're able to swim, if you are healthy and you're not risking your own life in an unreasonable way, you have an affirmative obligation to go rescue that child. 
Somebody's drowning in the lake. You can swim. You're healthy. You must go save that life before God. That is your obligation. You must preserve this life of this child or whoever it is. Growing out of this, we also have an affirmative duty of self-defense. If somebody is threatening your life, an animal is threatening your life, you have a duty to preserve your own life from that animal. If an animal or a person, we'll see even later, if a person is threatening your life or the life of a family member, life of anybody else, you have an affirmative duty to even harm that person for the sake of protecting life. So we have an affirmative duty here of self-defense. And then we go to 1 Corinthians, where it speaks of um, returning good for evil. So down, down the, the line of what Chad was saying. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 12 and 13. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. So when people come after us, our response is not to re- respond by, by cutting them down, by destructive anger. It's by doing good for other people because they are made in God's image. No matter what they've done, no matter how evil they are, they still are God's image, worthy of honor and respect. Now, it doesn't mean they shouldn't go to jail. It doesn't mean there's consequences for actions, but we still treat them as people. We don't dehumanize them. We don't treat them like animals. And there's also an obligation here to defend the weak and the innocent. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul writes, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. There's an affirmative duty for the weak that we have to care for them and to preserve their life and to help them. And we'll you know, see as we get to Eighth Commandment things to, to even financially assist the, the, the poor, even, especially in our midst. So this is a rather sweeping claim that we are to, everything lawful, we are to do to preserve our own life and the life of other people. I'm sure there's lots of questions here, but yeah, we'll open it up for questions, comments here. Yeah. Um, So the Old Testament talks about the cities of refuge. Yes. And it almost appears like there's this like unspoken okay to like seek revenge. I mean, you have these cities of refuge. There's not a law against not seeking revenge, and yet, you know, vengeance is fine. Right, that's right. I've always wondered about that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a great question. So how does this play out in Old Testament, especially... Um, um, pre-monarchy days, um, early monarchy days, where you have really Israel's a loose tribe, a loose affiliation of tribes. It isn't centralized. We think of King David, so centralized power at that point. But before that, it was very decentralized, very tribal. And you have this sense of like tribes are kind of warring against people. And, and if, if you kill somebody in my tribe, there is this sense of like, oh, um, there will be, you know, this tribe now goes after a person, you know, in this other tribe and they can they kill them? Is that right? Is that legal? And so we have to think of it, one, it's, it's not a monarchy in the same sense where there's consolidated power and a police force. Um, each tribe was kind of policing justice on their own. And God gave them uh, what, what has been called the lex talionis, um, the law of, um, um, oh, what's, what's, what's talionis? What's that in Latin? The law of what? Retaliation. Yeah, thank you. The law of retaliation. And it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So this was to be the standard for all justice in Israel. 
And we see that like, oh man, how barbaric, how terrible is that? Actually, there's nobody in the world that has a law like that. It was, if you take my purse, I kill you. That was justice in the ancient world. If you steal one of my cows, your family is gone, right? Um, God says no. The law of retaliation is an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You take my cow? Yes, I take your cow. That's fair. That's right. Um, You take out my eye, your eye's taken out. Okay, financial compensation. People didn't actually take out other people's eyes um, in that way, in in a broad sense of justice. So actually, Lex Taliotis was the overarching system of justice to make sure Israel was not retributive in the way that they executed justice. So yes, if you killed somebody, the punishment for that was death. Um, and uh, even involuntary manslaughter, it could be death, but God was merciful and gave them a place to go to seek refuge for this, yeah, less heinous sin, still a serious sin, but a less heinous sin than premeditated murder. So I don't know, is that, is that beginning to, to get at some of those, those things? Yeah. Where does war factor in? Let's get to war in a minute um, with all the abundance of time we have remaining. Um, Let's hold that for just a moment. We'll get to that when we get to the next question. Yep. Uh, Jesus says, uh, you heard it said, an eye for an eye, two foot, I think, broadly saying that. But he says then, turn your cheek. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so... That, let's, let's take that one offline. Uh, we can talk about that later. Um, Jesus is actually, he's not quoting the Old Testament law. He's quoting a pharisaical distortion of it. Um, and so he's not actually going, quoting the Lex Talionis the way it was originally given. Uh, he's quoting a pharisaical law there and saying, no, it's not vengeance that's the goal here. The goal here is mercy. But justice is required in certain circumstances, and, and here's the measure of justice. Um, so he's calling them back to the original Old Testament law. He's not r- r- doing away with that. Yes? Uh, we'll get there in a second. Yeah, that, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Manny. Um, so can you qualify a little bit more when you talk about involuntary murder? Yeah. Involuntary, because clearly the assumption is that it's not... Right. 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 There's something of errors that you always make. That's right. Everybody makes and everything, but the cost of what you do is the cost is much higher. Right. So I think to say that it's sinful, every type of involuntary murder, it's a little bit generic. Yes. So, no, that's a great point. So, involuntary manslaughter is texting and driving. And you run run a guy off a road and he dies, or you yourself die. That's that's the involuntary manslaughter where there's negligence here on your part, um, Erica. Well, it's you. gross negligence. It's not just you know a minor error or I forgot something. It's a gross negligence. Yeah. Yes. Um, like, I think if you get so detailed, though, you can talk about you can kill people in a lot of Right. So I'm just saying, like, it, it yeah. seems to me, and it's just my own personal opinion. Right. That just to say that texting and driving and you kill somebody, 
that murder, mm -hmm. I personally think is not correct. Well, it's not. Because I think yeah. it's, cause you could not be consistent with that in other things that you do. Because your intention, you never thought about that. Right. You're probably right. just probably, I'm probably driving, answering for an emergency, and somebody's having a heart attack, and I'm getting text, and I'm trying to give them something. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, but it's very clear, even on the Old Testament law, unintentional killings was still a sin, it was still wrong. Um, now, you get to questions of like, okay, you open up somebody's heart and you do a heart surgery and somebody dies on the, you know, from complications. Okay, there is, I think, different. Now, it's one thing if, if the physicians, you hear these terrible stories in law school of the physicians drunk while they're, you know, performing surgery, just crazy things. Clearly, that's wrong, right? That's, that's a violation of Sixth Amendment. But we're now, when we're in the realm of medicine, we're taking calculated risks all the time. So just because somebody dies as a result of a heart surgery doesn't mean the doctor is morally culpable for that. Could be. It maybe is gross negligence. But we're also making calculated risks, knowing, hey, percentage of people have these complications and issues, but we think on the whole, this is the best thing for this person's health. Knowing the risks, um, that's, not, uh, that's not a violation of the Sixth Commandment. So um, there's a lot there. R good stuff. Um, I want to move on from that. Do we have another comment over here? I'm yeah. Suicide. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. That's key. So let's let's use that as our um, as our bridge to go to the question sixty nine. Uh, what is forbidden in the sixth commandment? And that's the negative duty here. The sixth commandment forbiddeth the taking away of our own life, suicide, or the life of our neighbor unjustly, or whatsoever tendeth thereunto. So this is opens up the, the floodgates here. It's um, anything that takes away your life, life of a neighbor, or anything that tends in that direction. Anything that tends. So that's where I would say texting and driving is a dangerous thing. And it tendeth in that direction. Now, maybe there are justified exceptions. Maybe there are reasons where there's emergencies or whatever. I don't know. But it tendeth in that direction when you're, you know, the absent-minded texter and driver. Um, so somebody asked about this warfare. Um, I could open it up for discussion and we'll, uh, let me just give you the quick, the quick answer here. Um, the key word here in question 69 is unjustly. Um, and if you actually go to the larger catechism, it expressly says just warfare is appropriate and not a violation of the Sixth Commandment. So there is a just time where, now, okay, what is just war? Um, lots of conversation, discussion there. I don't want to touch that. But the point is, um, not with the time we have left today. I'd love to talk about it. I love talking about these things. Um, the point is, war in and of itself is not a violation of this commandment. Neither is self-defense. Even if you kill somebody in self-defense, um, it is not necessarily a violation of the Sixth Commandment because you're preserving life in doing that. Um, let's see. Uh, um, all right, so let's look at a couple applications of this. A couple things I wanted to make sure we mention uh, before we open it up. Um, one, we've, we've been talking about unintentional murder. Uh, in the law, involuntary manslaughter. We've been talking about that. And I think it's important to reiterate, I don't have the language up there, I thought I did. Um, whatsoever tendeth unto the death of another person. Anything that tends in that direction, that's carelessness, that puts somebody else's life in risk. Even if you didn't intend to kill them, you were careless. And that is wrong because we must do everything to preserve other people's life. We must go out of our way to preserve their life. We cannot 
do things that tend towards the death or the destruction of other people's lives. So we have issues like abortion that was raised already, right? This is the taking of a life of a person in the image of God, which is why Christians, evangelical Christians, Roman Catholic Christians have so strongly stood against it for so long. The early church was known. There were, there were, there were medical abortions um, and, and um, uh, it, it, forever, um, forever is overstating it. But back even in times of the early church, there were still medical abortions then. Uh, it was not uncommon to have a child and to uh, leave them exposed and let them die because you didn't want to take care of your children. The early church was known Known for care, taking those children in, for working against abortion, even in the first century, second century. Christians have always been known for this because of the value we put on human dignity, human life. And so we carry that torch today, caring for life. And of course, violating the sixth commandment is not the unforgivable sin. Um, Moses violated the sixth commandment by killing, uh, killing the man. Um, was it two Israelites were, dis- were, were disputing and Moses killed one. I have that right. That story right, don't I? He killed the Egyptian. Thank you. He killed the Egyptian, right? Um, and uh, that was a violation of the sixth commandment. It's not the unforgivable sin, but it is a serious and heinous sin. So I say that to say... Abortion is not the unforgivable sin either, right? If there has been abortion you've encouraged or committed, that is not the unforgivable sin. You still have grace at the foot of the cross. But we seek to preserve life. We seek to, um, we seek to um, not encourage and discourage abortion. Um, and I think it's wonderful how the Supreme Court changed the law of the land on that. And now we have debate on our you know, state level. Um, but it's a wonderful thing. Because abortion is fundamentally killing a person in the image of God. Um, Euthanasia, the other end of the spectrum. Um, We have killing elderly people or killing people with disabilities or killing people who just don't want their life to go on any longer. That is, this this is the same heinousness of killing a child in the womb. Um, This is not preserving life. And in fact, um, the larger catechism says, and I'm going to get this quotation wrong. Larger catechism says, it's wrong to withdraw from somebody something that is preserving their life. You can't take away from them something that is preserving their life. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. No, that's that's right. Um, and I think there's a lot of um, thoughtful Christian work done on that. Um, again, I don't. I don't have the the time right now to go into that, but those are really difficult decisions. I've been there with my mom when she was dying, right? The question is, what medicine do we give her? Do we give her something that we know is basically going to try to speed up her death process and make her die sooner? Do we not give her that? Um, These are hard, hard end-of-life decisions. So there's some good resources. I don't want to dive into that right now. There's a lot, but it's a really important thing, and we all need to think about that. And maybe it's worth a Sunday school thing of end-of-life issues. We all need to think about that because we're all going to be caring for people that get to that point. We ourselves are going to get to that point. We need to be able to think about it intelligently and from a Christian perspective. So I appreciate you raising that. Yeah, and I was just going to say, I mean, I think obviously this is very close to me, so I can yeah. talk for a long time. Yeah. I deal with this all the time. You know, you equated before life and dignity. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes by preserving life, you take away dignity. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you... I think 
and I understand that you're talking from the deductive purpose, but it seems to me that sometimes many other things need to be qualified further mm -hmm. because once you get to the moment, mm -hmm. so much more granular. Yeah, it's hard. Black and white decisions. I agree. Like Absolutely. If you agree. say, and again, I'm just picking this with you do as an example. Yeah. If you say, well, you shouldn't text and drive, it's curious. I could, if it's liberal, I could say, well, you shouldn't drive at all. Because there's some percent of people that are going to die, even if they're going to kill. Right. And you're right. still going to, so you shouldn't drive. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you shouldn't do a lot of things that would normally do because you know there's some probability. Right, right. Yep. So, so I think it's a little, you know, it's a slippery slope of when you define something as careless and when it's not careless. We all recognize it. But it's a gray area that not everybody depends what you do, right? Mm -hmm. For other things too, and the same as this, you know, like I deal with people that I all Even when you do, uh, you know, a full disclosure. So normally we used to do heart transplants in people who were brain dead. Mm -hmm. Now there's this thing called um, uh, cardiac death donation. And cardiac death donation means hmm. that patients are they they are not brain dead. They're in you know, a position in which they thought that they are unrecuperable. Yeah. So the family and the physicians agree that they're not technically brain dead by the medical definition of right. right. certain numbers that need to be in a very specific criteria. But they're very close to that. So what they do is they they would extubate them and remove support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and wait for the heart to, to stop. Mm -hmm. And when the heart stops, then that is considered death, legally yeah. speaking. Yeah. And then it is revived. Yeah, and then you can use it. Yeah, interesting. Right? Yeah. By that, and so, so it's, it's, you know, obviously we don't have time to talk all the ethical things, but right. it gets a lot more granular. It does, that's right. Abortion is the same thing. So right. one thing is the concept of abortion is right. saying it is wrong to take life first. Right. Then how do you define life and all that? And even I mean, you can have, you know, I have a big text on John Frame, and, you know, as you know. Right. Yeah. Like, Doctrine of Christian Life. Right. Like, yep. Life. Yep. So I've got it too. Long time about definition of how right. You know, exactly. And it's not as clear cut as. Yeah, right. You get into all kinds of medical complications and the life of the mother is at risk and all these kinds of things that lead to, yeah, um, permissible abortions um, because there's a life of the mother at risk. Um, um, yeah, there's a lot there. And we can dive deeply into this uh, more in later conversation, but our time is up for today. But the, the key thing to take away from this is, um, one, we are to seek the life of others, to love others to care for others, to not degrade or dehumanize others. And then ultimately, I think one of the biggest things that we all struggle with, uh, whether, we, whether we kind of fully grasp it or not, is that anger that is so pervasive um, that even in our heart tendeth toward the destruction of the lives of other people, even if we never act on it. And so we need to put to death the sin by looking to Christ. So let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for giving us your word and teaching us of the dignity that we share because we are made in your image, because we bear your image to the world. I pray that that image that we bear would um, honor you, that we would live our lives in ways that bring glory to you by, by acknowledging the dignity and value that each person has. May we love our neighbor as ourselves 
as we obey this commandment that you've given us. We thank you for Christ who's done it for us. And in his, in the power of his grace, may we be more like him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.